But one of the other pieces of advice I always like to give is, is really to remind everybody that everyone has a role in environmental education. You don't have to work at, at a school or a park or a classroom to teach others about the environment. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 122 of Life in Motion. I've got Lauren Pyle with me from Environmental Educators of North Carolina. Their nonprofit builds connections, provides professional development, and promotes excellence for North Carolina's community of environmental educators. I'm excited to hear her story and see just how they do that. Lauren, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yes, yes. I'm excited, um, like I mentioned, to kind of learn more about your organization and, and what you're doing, uh, especially from the education side of things. But before we get into that, um, you know, it probably makes the most sense to kind of start with you. You know, who is Lauren? Where did you grow up? Hobbies you had? Like what, what led you down this path in the first place? Yeah, I like to say I got into environmental education completely by accident. Uh, and so for me, I grew up just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and really had a, a strong outdoor childhood. You know, we came to the North Carolina mountains every year for a couple of weeks uh, to camp and hike and be in the streams. There was an empty lot next to my house that we built forts and picked blackberries and were out there almost every day uh, in the good weather. And so I grew up having a lot of these really powerful outdoor experiences. And when I went off to college, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to put that together. I'm going to be a wildlife biologist. And I did. I tried that for about five years. I worked for an environmental consulting company doing wildlife research. Thought that was a lot of fun, but was really missing the human element for me. And so went back to school, got my, my teaching degree and decided, you know, like I'm going to be a classroom teacher. That's how it's going to be. Uh, ended up traveling around for a few years after that, uh, exploring a lot of the United States, and then landed back in Western North Carolina and got really a part-time job as a summer camp instructor working for a, a garden in Western North Carolina and really got hooked on non-formal education. Uh, for me, that was a, a passion. It got to put together my love of being outdoors, sharing that excitement and enthusiasm with others, as well as getting to see people gather that excitement and passion for themselves. And so I did that for about 10 years before I started working for the Environmental Educators of North Carolina. That's awesome. No, it's it's uh, interesting sort of how, you know, both pieces of that puzzle, you know, you experienced by themselves and then by the end, it was kind of um, combined, right? Yeah. Um, which is great. So the 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 first part, um, kind of the, the biologist side of things. So what, what, what was kind of your role? Like, is that actually just studying like studying animals in their natural habitat or like what what did that look like yeah it was a really unique job actually with the company that i worked for because uh, we specialized exclusively in bats okay um, yeah and so what we did were actually endangered species surveys so anytime there's a major project that needs to happen whether that's a highway build a new power line um, at the time i think it was anybody who wanted to clear or impact more than 50 acres of land needed to do an assessment to say, are there any endangered species in this area? And so that's what my company did that I worked for is we went out and said, this is what we can find. This is what we know lived there. 
Uh, and so we'd go out site to site. I actually, some of our major contra- you know, contracts ended up being with uh, some of the national forests on the East Coast. And so we helped to do their research and monitoring. And so really I spent, I started as a college student actually with that, um, spent my summers catching bats uh, and camping <laughs> every summer, you know, while I was doing undergrad and grad school. That's, that's awesome. So, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. And, and so they're an endangered species, but aren't they really, uh, and I guess I'm saying a little bit of what I might think I know, but also, you know, I'm not uh, an animal expert by any means, but aren't, aren't they a pretty big part of our ecosystem as well? Like, I mean, besides, you know, the endangered species part of it, but yeah. or am I making that up? Yeah, no, bats are so huge. They are insect eaters in in this part of the country. And so they do a phenomenal job of pest control. Uh, And so both pests for us that are, you know, things like mosquitoes that just bother us if you're outside, but also agriculturally, they eat a lot of the insects that would be bothering crops and and be impactful there. So bats as a whole have a huge role to play. And it's funny because there's a a number of different species on the East Coast and they all have a slightly different, you know, preferred diet and things. And so having the wide group of them make sure they do the really the best possible job that they can. Uh, because if this one only eats, you know, more of this type of bug and this species only eats this type of bug, if you lose one, that means the pest control on that species is just gone. And so that becomes a really big deal. Uh, and so, yeah, they're really fundamentally important and just really fascinating creatures too. They get, you know, especially because it's almost Halloween here, you know, there's all <laughs> the pieces of bats and the decorations and other pieces, but they're really just phenomenally interesting animals. That's that's interesting. And so, I mean, not not to go down a, a, a pesticide uh, conversation, but, you know, they're kind of the, the natural version of that, which is something I didn't really think about, especially when it comes to, you know, crops and, and everything. So that, that's super interesting. How long like how long does it take to study them? Like to know, like, OK, you know, we have this 50 acre you know piece of land that we want to do X with. How long does it take to, to have that study? It, it, I'll, I'll start by saying that was almost 20 years ago that I did that. So it's been <laughs> a little it? while since I've been in the field. Uh, so so with that, it, it really depends on like the size of the site and how it's ar- arranged in pieces like that. Um, you know, for us, we would send, you know, multiple nights at a single night looking for a single site, um, doing uh, various types of surveying strategies. And at the time, this was actually before, if anyone sort of white knows, it's before that. Um, came out. Uh, and so we did a lot of actually like physically catching bats uh, and counting them. And so we'd be at a site for a few nights, but a single project, you know, for that piece, um, we might be multiple sites at the same property or the same site uh, or, you know, along the corridor or whatnot. It just depends. On, uh, it depended on a lot of factors. And so my role was mostly the implementation and the field study. Uh, so that's that's where my specialties was, is I, I would get the maps and say, you know, here's your sites or we need you to find sites in these plots and, and go do it and take your team. And so that was the fun part for me is, is getting to go out there and set everything up and then really manage a lot of the the on-site outdoor experiences. That's awesome. And, and sorry to take you down memory lane there. It's just it's something I don't know much <laughs> about. So and I warned you before, yeah. you know, I, I might go down some rabbit holes. So that's just that's really interesting. Like I said, um, you know, how how that all works. Um, I couldn't imagine myself out there trying to track anything, um, let alone a bat that's probably fairly hard to see at night. Um, <laughs> well, unfortunately, but, we put up big walls of nets. That's the piece. Oh, we, put okay. nets, we put nets everywhere uh, and then we'd actually catch them. 
uh, and you take them out of the net and we take pictures and do measurements and all those pieces. And so was, I, at the time we did a lot of uh, physical catching versus like now I know they do a lot of like acoustic monitoring. So they listen to the sounds that they make. So they don't have to catch them as much. You get some some different information that way. Interesting. Interesting. So, so, so you had that experience, like you said, then you kind of went over to the educational standpoint. Um, and I, and I guess I'm, I'm slowly getting back to, uh, you know, the organization in itself, but from, from an, an educator, what, what kind of drew you to that? I mean, obviously there's more, there's more people, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, with the, the previous, but what, what, what about kind of education that, that drew you? Um, and I say my, my wife is a, as an art teacher, so a little bit different, but you know, she, she has the right personality for help helping people on a consistent basis. I, I guess I should say, you know, I feel like there's a certain level of, um, of, of a lot of different attributes that, that kind of help with that. So what kind of drew, drew it? to you for that? For me, I, I think a lot of it was building throughout my entire life. Because even while I was doing pieces of the, you know, in the backdrop of wildlife biology, education's always been a passion of mine. You know, I would lead programs for my peers when I was in high school. We'd lead, you know, outing trips as part of our, our high school club. And I would plan and facilitate those. Um, as one of the student leaders for the organization, I uh, was an instructor for my college's outdoor education department. And so, like, I taught backpacking and hiking oh. and other courses, like, for physical education credit for my university. And so it's always been a part of something that, that I realize I appreciate and I enjoy because, for me, getting to have something that I'm so passionate about and getting to share that with others and see them get to feel the same feelings of excitement and understanding, uh, that to me is just has been so fulfilling. It, it, that side is like seeing that spark catch in others. And um, my mom used to have a send off. And so I think about it like it's really been probably my whole life. But, you know, we go to, to school or to camp or wherever we were going as kids. And my mom's signature goodbye was have fun, be safe, make the world a better place. Uh, was always what she'd say to us. And so that really that last piece of make the world a better place, I think, is what stuck with me as like that's the place where I really want to try to, to spend my career and my life. Uh, doing a lot of work in that space as best I can. And education for me was a, a great match of bringing together those passions. That's no, that's awesome. That's a, uh, no, no, that that's definitely cool. And I love that saying as well. So, so you obviously kind of always had that passion, always had the passion for the outdoors. So at, at what point did you learn about environmental educators of North Carolina? Was that after kind of all that and it kind of stumbled upon it or like what was your first experience yeah environmental educators of north carolina i was introduced to it pretty early in my career when i landed in north carolina in what we call non-formal education so that the education that's happening outside of the school system when i was working at the garden uh and so my supervisor there said this is the these are the people you need to get to know and you need to get to talk to and so i became a member of the organization and that was almost 10 years ago now um, I became a member of the organization, became involved, became a board member of the organization, uh, and then, um, you know, was attending workshops and events and other pieces, getting to know the community. And I was so honored when they hired uh, the very first staff that the organization's ever had in its nearly 30-year history uh, in 2018 to be selected as the first executive director for this organization. 
That's that's awesome. Um, so so I guess you know I, I probably pulled the uh, the cart before the horse or whatnot. So what exactly is uh, EENC for short? Um, and and I guess what what drew you to it from from that case and I guess the mission and everything. Yeah, um, EENC is a statewide network of environmental educators. Uh, it is a, a group of people from all over the state in so many different places and spaces. So it's a, a network of classroom teachers and people who teach at parks and zoos and people who are higher education faculty and instructors. We have government employees who work in, say, like departments of like the soil and water conservation districts here in North Carolina, volunteers, community leaders. It's this group of people that really is dedicated to advancing the field of environmental education by learning with and from one another. Uh, and really through those relationships, finding inspiration and ideas to do the best possible teaching they can. And so for me, that was what drew me to ENC was this idea that like, this is an organization where I can find support, I can find connection, and I can get a lot of new ideas about how to to really be a better educator, to better serve my community and my audience. And then so, and is that, you know, I know, uh, you know, you just wrapped up a, a conference that was successful, but throughout the year, is, does that kind of collaboration happen through, you know, you know, is, is the state, you know, maybe broken down into different segments and there's like little, um, I don't know, chapters might not be the right word, but um, chapters where they have like specific um, classes and, and that way to kind of create that collaboration or, is it, you know, the the one, the the big conference and then everybody kind of meets and then kind of disperses from there in a way where they can continue to collaborate? Yeah. If you had asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have said it's the latter. We do a conference and that's the biggest thing that we can do to support our community with some small events other places. Um Though over the last five years, we've really been growing that. And so now we offer our annual conference, but we also offer um, both in-person and virtual workshops happening regularly throughout the state. Um, and the virtual ones have been a really great opportunity because North Carolina is a really big state uh, yeah. in terms of like geographic travel. You know, for me, where I live in the mountains, it can take me almost eight, nine hours to get to the coast. Uh just because of the way the roads run. And so we do uh, virtual offerings. We do webinars. We also host regular, we call them our communities. We love our, our puns uh, <laughs> a lot of times for our organization, but there are communities like EE for environmental education. Uh, and they're just online gathering spaces where we host community calls for people to come together and just talk about what they're thinking about. You know, many times these calls have a theme, you know, this call is focused on equity. This call is focused on say educators who are working with adult audiences, this call is focused on a, another topic, whatever our community wants to talk about, we are the conveners for making the space for that happen. Um, and so that's how we help to find people together as well as help one-to-one -one when somebody says, hey, I'm you know new to the area or I'm a teacher and I'm looking for support in my community. I can go to the, my list of, of members and network contacts and say, oh, great. I see that you're in this city. Let me tell you who I can connect you to and make some introductions for you in your region um, and to be able to help build those bridges that way as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, really, really big resource in that way. And one thing I didn't really think about um, is, you know, how, how diverse the um, the environment is there uh, in North Carolina, because, of course, you know, you have the the mountains and then you have the coast and everything in between. So it's probably cool to have that unique 
perspective of, you know, ocean versus mountain or, or whatnot. Yeah. And even just would you say ocean versus mountain, like if you think about the environmental sector, you know, natural systems are really complex. You've got living creatures, physical surroundings, weather, soil, air, all of those pieces. And so it's really interesting to see not just the topography change, right? Like those those ecosystems in many ways, but also all the other factors that people find common ground or shared interests across the state. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm so I'm originally um, from from Virginia. So bordering, I'm in Missouri now, of course, but uh, I've spent many of summers on uh, at least the coast of, of North Carolina. So um, so as as the executive, I guess one question, I mean, because it's kind of interesting to me, you know, you said it, it's been, a, been a, um, around for so long. And then, you know, 2018 was the first time that they hired an executive director, right, which is yourself. What what was the like what opportunities were seen to expand kind of the impact with having somebody such as yourself in that role? For us, there's always been the understanding that there's so much more that our community needs uh, in terms of our community of environmental educators. And that's one thing I think about our organization is we're really we're really community driven. And so like, what do they need? What what can we do for them? And as an all-volunteer organization, there was only so much we could provide, you know, so many trainings, so many resources. And we haven't even touched on, like, the other things that we're now able to offer them. You know, we provide mini grants for teachers and educators because sometimes, like, that $250, right, like, that's the difference between being able to put the rain barrel in your classroom garden or not. That's the difference from being able to host a teacher workshop and get the books for free so that teachers don't have to pay for it. Um, and so we, we host a mini grant program. We also help to try to advocate for our field uh, to really advance the profession. And so there's we still have the list of like, oh, we would love to do all these things. You know, the educators in our community, they're calling for this kind of support. We really because because ultimately, you know, the piece that we hear from our community is that we want to change the world. That 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 phrase I shared from my mom, I think, has been echoed through uh, EENC. And, and I hear that there in our community. And I think that's also what appeals to me is that these are, these are people who want to change the world. They want to like address systems and structures and like, how can we talk about equity in the outdoors? How can we talk about the sustainability of environmental education as a profession? How can we ensure that everyone has access to it? Not just, you know, the few people who happen to live near an, an environmental education center. Uh, and so these are questions that people are asking that they want to help address. And I think EENC, as we've grown over the years, is is moving into a position where we can help with those. Yeah, kind of, you know, making making everybody's, uh, you know, I guess, voice louder in that sense and kind of leading the way, which is which is great. And, and you know, you, you mentioned in the middle of that, you know, something we didn't even talk about yet being, you know, kind of the grant programs. So what what other programs might have we, uh, you know, missed from? Not only from, uh, you know, I guess membership, and then I don't know if there's a difference between membership and the strictly volunteer aspect of it, but what are some of those other programs that that we might not have touched on? Yeah, we offer a variety of professional development programs. We offer the mini grant program. Uh, And then for us, a lot of our other strategies are actually more systems based rather than I would say a, a true program. Um, so for example, right now we're working with, uh, we do a, a lot of things with partners actually across the, 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 Southeastern region and across the nation. And one of the pieces we're working on right now is a landscape analysis of the field of environmental education. Like what is happening? What are the needs? What are the opportunities? 
And we did a survey with that um, in 2021 of the folks who are working outside of the school systems to understand their needs and opportunities. Uh, and then we're working right now to try to understand what's happening within the school system. We're, we're serving classroom teachers, we're serving uh, science curriculum coaches, school and district administrators. And so we do a lot of work like that that is more, I would say, uh, systemic in nature of trying to approach that and then share that information out to our community and then collectively develop plans to address those. Yeah. So so kind of in other words, you know, there's there's this these group of individuals out there that know know something needs to change, but not really necessarily the right way, not the they don't have the blueprint of how to do it. And so you all kind of step step in that sense to kind of help along with that kind of. Yes. Yeah, we do. We help. We want to help the individuals, but we also want to help the organizations and the networks because together we have a really a lot of collective power. Uh, and, you know, for example, another project we're working on right now is um, uh, we're calling it an EE guidance for equitable hiring because it's one of the things that working in environmental education many people know firsthand. I can say from my own experience, like when I started at the, the garden I worked at, you know, I had a master's degree and was making, I think, $9 an hour with no benefits. Um, and I worked for without benefits for several years. And that is a piece that we want to change within the field because we recognize now, I think so many people more are recognizing that that's not sustainable. And I mean, many people, you know, that employer now is actually phenomenal to see the change that they've gone through. But how can we make this a more approachable profession? And so we're actually working on a guiding document that will now help employers who say, like, I know I want to do this. I need to be able to make the case to my board, my treasurer, my CFO, that this is why we need to have a higher starting salary and we need to improve our support for our staff. Like we have this documentation. This is where the bench line should be. And so our organization is working in that space to really help outline that um, for providers so that they can really make the case in order to to change the field that way. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and something I guess you don't really think about either that, you know, uh, a lot of those, you know, types of careers, you know, and I'm sure as, as you mentioned, ha has kind of changed over the years, but, you know, have been underfunded in that sense or not seen the value, um, you know, something like a master's um, in that. And, and, you know, that might discourage some people to follow that passion, because obviously the people that were experienced that obviously had a lot of passion, such as yourself. Um, to kind of to kind of go through that. So to be able to, you know, help present it in a way to get more people involved, which at the end of the day is only going to make, well, the environment better, right? So <laughs> in this case, well, it, and we all have a role to play in environmental education. And that's the piece that we, we want to really help advocate for the field and of the environmental education, because everyone has a role to play people's well being is connected to the well being of natural systems. You know, as humans were facing increasingly complex challenges, everything from climate change to loss of species to access to nature challenges. Um, we have a growing gap between the haves and have nots, and there are threats to health security and other really future survival. Environmental education equips people and communities and organizations with the knowledge, skills, and motivations they need to make those informed decisions about how they can address those challenges. And so that to me is is the big piece is that everyone has a role to play. We all should be using this. This is essential for both people and planet. Yeah, no, no, that that's an excellent point. And to be able to raise that awareness and kind of bring it all together. So actually, so question like from, you know, from the work 
and the resources and everything that you all have provided. Are there any like specific, I guess, stories or anything like of, you know, groups taking what they they received from you all and then, you know, they did something amazing or kind of an impact, you know, just kind of a unique story that's kind of always stuck with you? I honestly can't think of one off the top of my head because there's so many ones where it makes me smile every time I hear them. And I don't think we have the one story that says like, this is the difference that it's made because it's so many little stories and it's this culmination of impact over time. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, you know, honestly, it's, it's probably, uh, you know, as far as the success and impact go, it's probably, you know, having those kind of small, small success stories or, or things that make you smile that, you know, you're doing a good job and it's creating that, you know, that ripple effect, um, uh, along the way. So as you all continue to grow, obviously, you know, you're, you're working on some, uh, you know, a lot of things now and have have grown since 2018. Are there any larger things kind of on the horizon in you know, the next five years or so that you would like to add, you know, a different, um, uh, I guess, program to or kind of grow one area of it? Yeah, we really have a, a number of goals to increase our capacity and that's impact as an organization. That's It's really something we want to continue to do. One of the areas that we're really interested in getting into um, and really helping to support is um, around advocacy. Uh, and that shows up as advocacy for our field, you know, making the case, helping more people understand how they fit in with environmental education, the value of environmental education. But also, ultimately, it would be we'd be really excited to get to support some state policy. You know, we see initiatives in other states that we think would be amazing to bring to North Carolina. You know, if you didn't know, Oregon has this really cool program. It's called Oregon Outdoor School, um, where every fifth and sixth grader gets a multi-day outdoor experience as part of their public school education. Um, that's that's something that all the kids get to have. That's a really transformative and powerful experience that not only helps with science learning, but those kinds of experiences help kids build confidence. They help them um, build connections with one another. It helps with empathy. It helps with um, academic achievement, uh, all of those pieces. And so like something like that would be amazing. We look at, at states um, like New Mexico, right? It has a really amazing program called uh, that they've, they've tagged, given it the tagline is every kid, every day, every way um, for getting outside. And so for us as an organization, we see that as something that could be a really critical role for our state moving forward is getting into that advocacy arena to help put it into to policy um, to have that equitable access to the outdoors so that this is something that all kids. Yeah. Can. And I, I think that's, um, that's super important too, because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, obviously how the education system is now a lot of technology and that stuff. So it gets the kids out. Um, but it also probably that, that exposure, if you will, to the outdoors and those different, um, you know, kind of the classroom setting is helps them develop a, a greater appreciation for that tree over there, that stream over there, that bird that's flying over or whatnot. Cause you know, it's, it's probably good for them to kind of see that connection by being taught through that. Well, and environmental education, especially when it's hands-on and outdoors, like as someone who did that for 10 years and um, with, with 
my students, it was so common for me to hear classroom teachers who'd bring a, a group of kids to, to the site where I was working. And at the end of the program, they'd say, you know, that, that kid right there. And this is the kid who's like in the middle of everything doing all, you know, like if it's a stream survey, they're the one in the middle of the stream with the net, you know, thrilled that they're pulling out, you know, crayfish and all the aquatic insects that are living on the rocks in the stream. They're, you know, they're, they're the most engaged. They're like that child is the kid who never sees themselves in science. This is the kid who shuts down in the classroom and this space has given them the opportunity to thrive. Um, so it, it really helps, I think, bring a whole different group of people to the outdoors and science because they can have that participatory relationship with it versus just um, more of a theoretical concept. And I also think it helps a really a wide group of students better understand science because it's, it makes it relevant, right? Like I used to teach a lot of eighth grade uh, freshwater ecology in North Carolina, and that's a, a huge standard for for our eighth grade students is to learn all about streams. Uh, and so, yes, they learn about, you know, the water flow and the animals that live in a stream and what it means for, for runoff and those sorts of things. But they also learn about chemistry, like dissolved oxygen and pH, um, you know, the acidity and um, other uh, chemical uh, compositions within that. And to me, like that was always so great to see that it was a great way to teach about the chemistry while it was relevant to the kids because you could connect like, let's talk about dissolved oxygen and what that means for the animals that live in the water and their oxygen needs and what that means for the health of the stream and other pieces. And so they could put all the pieces together so that it was really relevant to them versus really an abstract concept. So I think that it offers a lot of power that way. Yeah. And, and I would say um, I, I would have probably done much better in chemistry if we had some uh, <laughs> some projects like that yeah. rather than just reading the book and and doing all that. But that, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> so, no, no, that's that's great. And I think, um, you know, as far as kind of looking to the future and, and where to where to take some things along with some of your other ideas, I mean, I think, you know, that that impact is going to grow, you know, year after year and just kind of expand, um, which is, you know, important anyway, especially with so many um, challenges that, that were faced, um, you know, with certain things within the outdoors as well. So one um, one thing I always like to ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice that they could kind of take away. And, and so I guess this is I'm, I'm sort of trying to take myself into the perspective of, you um, another organization that wants to maybe start focusing more on, um, you know, environmental education and what that looks like, you know, whether, you know, they're in North Carolina or Missouri or wherever, but they don't really have, maybe that they're, maybe they don't have something that's kind of set up, um, such as, as ENC, um, where, where they start to kind of see like how to start to implement that within what their programs that they're already doing? Yeah, for an organization that's really interested in launching an environmental education program, I would say to a great starting place would be to get in touch with their state association for environmental education. EENC is North Carolina's, uh, but there is one in just about every state in the United States. And all of us, all these statewide groups, we are part of a larger network. Um, we're, we're affiliates of the North American Association for Environmental Education. And um, together, these associations are great places to get resources, get, get tools, get training, get to meet other people, um, get to learn more about the education that's already being offered in a community so that they can help maybe address the gaps instead of trying to do the same thing somebody else is doing. 
um, and really like find their community. So I think that that's a, a great place if someone's already going that way. But one of the other pieces of advice I always like to give is, is really to remind everybody that everyone has a role in environmental education. You don't have to work at, at a school or a park or a classroom to teach others about the environment. Um, you know, I was talking with a group of business leaders in Western North Carolina entrepreneur. It was an entrepreneurial startup group. Um, and one of them was a furniture company and they had um, specific sustainability markers on their furniture as a selling point. And I said, how do people know what that means? You know, you're yeah, looking yeah. to sell this product. That's a really valuable piece. Like you have a profound opportunity to help teach people why this is important and why they should value this. And it not only helps make the case for your business, but it also can help as the business, you have a different perspective and a different audience than might come to a park or a zoo or be in a classroom anymore. And so I think we all have a role to play in all that unique situation. And so how we can bring this all together is really how we're going to transform that future. Yeah, no, no, that's that's excellent. And I and you know, honestly, something I didn't think about from a larger perspective, you know, the, the business example is great. So so where where can people find you online to um, learn more about your resources, um, what you all are doing, what you have um, coming up and how how they can kind of get involved? Yeah, certainly. The one-stop shop to find us is our website, which is <laughs> www.eenc.org. Um, but we're also on um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and... Awesome. Well, everyone, definitely uh, make sure you check out and see what they're doing specifically. Um, and of course, you know, if if you're in a different state, you know, find, find kind of the uh, local organization in your area, see how you can get involved or... As mentioned, if you're a business, you know, figure out how to how to highlight some of those those benefits to uh, to what you're producing or whatnot. So anyways, uh, Lauren, I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and what all uh, EENC is all about. Um, and I wish you all the, the best of luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.